Hello, today I am talking to Nake Florian. And of course, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you might remember that Nake came on the podcast four years ago now. So this is a really cool opportunity to kind of catch up and see what's happened in the world of Mondio Ring since we first did that podcast. Because I think a lot has changed here in the UK. And Nake has been a really big part of helping to kind of popularize the sport here. And it's really exciting. And it's really cool to catch up with Nake about that stuff. If you don't know Nake, he was a decoy at the FMBB and FCI World Championships and many national championships. So he really is kind of a, a top level Mondio Ring decoy. And it's cool to have the opportunity to talk to him. So let's get started. Hey, Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, man, nice to see you again. Yeah, second time on, actually. I was, uh, I'm, I, I'm a little bit of like a geek when it comes to stat stuff. So I keep a little bit of like a spreadsheet and there aren't really very many people that have done two episodes. I, I, I'm privileged a bit. I'm a bit privileged. <laughs> How are you doing? It's you been a while the, though, right? It's been a while. Um, actually, after we've um, we've done that uh, podcast, we haven't seen each other until the seminar we had. Uh, I had a few months yeah. ago, uh, and it was yeah. good to see you then. And it's nice to to talk to you again now. Yeah, no, I really, uh, yeah, that was good fun. That was. Yeah, that I was actually got excited when I when I've I've seen you on uh, on Ivan's podcast, and then uh, you said you're thinking about starting it again, and then like a few weeks later, a few episodes uh, popped, and then. Yeah, we got together and um, yeah. managed to speak and say we're gonna do one uh, again. So here we are. Yeah, definitely. I it's a that's a that was a weird experience. <laughs> and actually, you got mentioned in that podcast, right? But uh, yeah. Ivan just said your name wrong. Yeah, I know my sometimes <laughs> can be my name sometimes can be complicated. Yeah, no, I've um, I um, I speak uh, from time to time with Ivan, and I've. Yeah. I've uh, I've met him years ago. Um, he's very well known in the Eastern in in that part of Europe where I come from. Yeah. So years years ago, um, his uh, materials were uh, uh, things that people used to study, including myself at that time. Um, so I actually got to meet him. Uh, he delivered a seminar in Romania. It was very interesting. Um, and then since there, I've met him a few other times at the at FNBB at the World Championship and stuff like that. And then we talk from uh, uh, from time to time. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, I've spoken to him quite a lot since that podcast, and mm-hmm. uh, he's been very helpful. So uh, yeah, shout outs to Ivan, I guess. Yeah, um, I'm I'm um, w- working my way. I want to do a podcast there as well. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's joining uh, uh, Mondio again. Yeah, definitely. You guys should connect because I yeah, mean, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, now he's he's decoying as well, so he knows what he's doing. But uh, yeah, it would be, well, be interesting. Is there a uh, how much difference is there though? I would imagine there's quite a lot of difference because Ivan does IGP decoying, right? So is wouldn't there be a big difference between the IGP and the Mondio stuff? No, he does uh, Mondio decoying as well. Oh, I didn't know that. He's he's done it in, because he has competed in Monio in the past, from from uh, from my knowledge, okay. uh, and uh, he decoys as well for his uh, business. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty sure he's he knows what he's doing. Probably he's got people around him that yeah. uh, that are doing the same um, the same type of of, of work. So, 
probably he's he's covered in that regard. And American no. Charge, I've, I've just been there uh, in April mm-hmm. to do their national championship. Yeah, um, and it was an interesting experience because um, the it happened in California, mm-hmm. and uh, people from all over the U.S. Uh, got there to compete in the Monduring National Championship. And I was asking them, "How do you feel Mondio has developed in the U.S.?" Uh, and everyone said, "Oh, really slow, and um, and uh, it's not that many people that do the sport." And I looked around me. I was like, "There are like thirty something dogs in." signed up for for like these nationals and a few others which didn't make the cut so how can you say but you know in comparison with europe or the uk if you want uh the spread of america of the the country of america uh it's so wide that mm-hmm. uh, i understand why people have difficulties in getting together and 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 training together um i was asking people where are they coming from um to compete in nationals and oh i I drove two days. Oh, I've been traveling for a week in my car, which, you know, it's kind of blowing your mind for a bit. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see their perspective um, in that regard. Yeah, it is interesting because uh, I remember the first time I spoke to you, Mondio was like almost non-existent in the UK, or it seemed yeah. like that. And it seems like since that time, so you said it was seven years, didn't you? Like over the last seven years, or whatever yes, it was. So I think the the breakdown uh, happened in um, twenty nineteen. So, oh, okay, less than seven. So, why, why did I say seven years? That's way uh, less. Probably than because I've been here in uh, I've been in the UK for the last seven years. Oh, okay, that's okay, the number okay. that pops into your head. Um, but I think the breakdown for me, at least, seeing it and being involved in it, happened from. Um, uh at, starting with the end of 20 uh, 2019 because that was, that was when uh, the uk had uh first for significant uh result on the monduring stage worldwide um the vice president of monduring uh in the uk howard green competed with his dog at level one world championship and got second place so the the uk uh name flag was there um you know uh on the podium uh and then in a couple of months later in december uh, i got licensed for the uk and then the pandemic hit which put a break in pretty much everything so there was like a no-go for um until 20 until 2021 so 2020 was absolutely uh, a dead year for handlers for judges for decoys for Dogs, especially dogs, uh, you know, a dog losing a year in its career, it's a lot. It's a lot because in a year's time, you can make a lot of progress um, and you can move the dog forward uh, in the, not necessarily monitoring, but in every sport that you do. So it's a significant period of time that was uh, that was lost. Uh, and then since 2021, things got um, to move in the in the right direction in the, you know in a higher direction uh, i managed to uh, attend the super selection which was a, um, a first for the uk and um, i've done quite well i've placed myself on the podium which automatically um, qualified me to decoy the world championship next year so that, that happened in 2021 so i decoyed the world championship in spain in 2022 in all three categories um, and then in between, uh, so for the FCI World Championship 
you the decoys are selected based on their performance in the super selection. Uh, and then for the FMBB, which is a different world championship, but it's designed or it's allocated purely for um, Belgian uh, shepherds. So not including just uh, Malinois. Um, that one you just you get there through invitation. So there's a meeting between uh, the members of the committee, and then they sit down and they choose their decoys. So I got invited to that one as well, which was in Greece uh, last year. Um, and yeah, in the space of a year, uh, in 20, 2022 was a successful year for the UK, uh, as I, I represented UK at two world championships and uh, at the world championship in category two, um, one of the dogs I work with uh, placed uh, third on the podium out of 19 dogs. I would say that's a good accomplishment. Yeah, my yeah. hell of a CV. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been it's been nice. And then since then, I've been um, kind of doing uh, national championships. So I've, I've done Romania, I've been in the States. I've recently, a few months ago in June, I've done Austria, which was on, on, on like my um, chicken, uh, chicken, you know, box. Um, yeah. So it's uh, uh, it's been developing a lot since then and now I, yeah. I see it for myself as you know i've got my own um group my own club where i train uh and i had the odd people coming and going but the ones who are consistent they've been there for years uh and they're on their way now to some of them competing for uh for the first time in category one the dog that i mentioned earlier it's uh, now competing in category three so he's moving moving forward that dog has the handler of, of that dog has now two younger dogs from that female, which is he's training them in monitoring as well. So uh, I think there's it's been a successful uh, development for um, for monitoring, and you've seen it at uh, at the seminar where uh, where we've um, met again. Yeah, it really struck me because I remember when we were having these conversations back in 2019. It like it felt very new for the UK, like Mondial Ring. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like there was a lot going on at that time. It wasn't new because it happened in the past, but there wasn't uh, enough. Um, I don't know if publicity or marketing is the right word, but um, maybe it it just wasn't enough exposure. If I can put it right. That way. But then when I went to see you, like there was loads of people that yeah. were actively training for Mondial mm-hmm. Ring. Um, and it wasn't like it was loads of people that were like completely new and just interested. There were people there that had clearly done quite a lot of training. Yeah, like it was the first first time we'd met when I we've when I've done it with uh, Nando. That's yeah. where we met the first time, I think. Uh, yeah, sure. Like that workshop's very different vibe, right? Like because there's so many people that were just like, okay, this looks like an interesting sport. I just want to have a go, kind of thing. Yeah. Versus when I saw you last, it's like there's loads of people that were like way further into their training, taking yeah, it really yeah, seriously. Exactly. So you can clearly see a, a growth and a development in in that regard, which is nice because um, I, I feel to a certain extent I kind of contributed to that. Yeah, massively. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's um, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of. Yeah, you definitely should be. Um, you know, I'm not super involved in Mondia Ring in any way, but I'm just like an outsider looking in. And from my perspective, it does seem like you're, you're definitely one of the main people that has like really pushed the growth of the sport in the UK. So, I mean, that's that's super impressive. 
plus all the other stuff you mentioned is uh no it's you know incredibly impressive you do something out of passion you do something that you like and um you're you know you're putting your effort into it and you're interested in getting better in developing uh in that regard because it wasn't like um I had to develop myself because I had to start from uh, from from scratch, uh, and there were things that happened during competitions that you know opened my mind a bit to change the way I do some stuff, change the way I do some exercises, how I prepare myself for a competition or for a selection or so on and forth. So um, it wasn't just me promoting it; it just it was me learning and developing myself at the same time, and you know the information that I got for myself. Uh, I, I think I got it from good sources because, you know, world championships are the main goal uh, and the information there, it's so vast and complex because it comes from different parts of the of the planet. You know, people come from uh, other continents f- to, to compete and it's interesting to listen to them, how they train and it's interesting to see their dogs, how they perform. Uh, and all of that, it's if I, I, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for that because I look at certain things and I just like try to steal them, and I, I take them, you know, in my own way. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, on paper if I can put it that way. But I look at certain stuff and then I try to develop it for myself, uh, yeah. just to obtain that, you know, that small fraction of what the dog has showed um, in in a specific moment or in a in a specific exercise. So if you put all of that together and most importantly, if you got the right people around you, because, you know, I can, I can have millions of things to do, but if I don't have them, if I don't, don't have anyone to do them with, yeah. it's just going to be yeah. me and the information and <laughs> then that's it. Uh, yeah. You know, but I'm lucky in that regard. I've been having these people that I work with uh, in, in my club for years. You just reminded me of something with when you're talking about, uh stealing ideas because i feel like all of the best people do that and it's not like stealing is a harsh word but like just be, getting inspired by people and taking bits and bobs and i remember years ago i met up with like a trainer that was just starting out and they were just getting into training and uh and i we were talking i think we were talking about recall training mm-hmm. like really basic stuff and um i said let me show you how i do it and he goes no 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 don't show me how you do it because I don't want to like steal your method. And I was like, <laughs> I was really like weirded out by that. I was like, what do you mean? Like, first of all, it's not even my method. Like I've learned it from other people. It's not like I just like fought this up on my own. Um, how are you going to learn anything if you don't take things from others, you know, and, and like develop them yourself and figure out your own preferences? Yeah, exactly. Probably, I don't know if, if the example is all right, is good, but probably the same method you you were showing it to him if you had client or clients at that time you're doing the same thing so i don't I exactly don't see the difference of i don't want to steal your method when you're obviously exposing that to whoever needs it right uh but no yeah it's a it's an interesting thought i think um and uh for me personally uh it's things that um i see and i experience and i'm i'm questioning how how did that dog or the handler achieve that? And I, I can go and ask that specific person, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm positive they will they will say exactly how they've done it. But then until until I haven't tried it myself, I I can't I will not know what to you know turn and twist and tweak so I can get there so I can get the end result. And I, you only you can only do that through through practice. And I think. Um, 
being how do you, how do you say it? self-taught you know teaching yourself it's, it's one of the best way that you can yeah, self-taught, develop, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can you can develop things for uh for yourself and for others because you know others will benefit from it as well <clears throat> what were you thinking of when you when you're talking then about uh like taking an idea from someone or or uh like being really inspired by something that you saw is there something is there an example that you look like you you were thinking about a particular maybe there was one example that came to mind yeah so there's um not necessarily the uh the dogs that um have scored the highest but the dogs that made my job very hard because when you um when you compete against not against but when you're part of a, of a, of a jury because i would say that the deco is part of the jury that um exposes the training and the dog's uh, natural skills and the uh, and the training methodology that the handler has used when you get 17 dogs in one category and then 19 in a different category 30 something dogs plus the white dog 40 dogs in you know during uh, working those 40 dogs you, you get to see the differences uh, in between them um so the dogs that i couldn't take the points away are the ones that I was uh, specifically interested in because I tried, but it didn't work. And I was wondering why exactly it didn't work. So for example, there was um, there was a dog that was um, extremely technical, wasn't the fastest, wasn't um, the most powerful, but it had very, very good technique. Uh, and it was a, how do I say it, a very tricky dog. So, uh, for example, in the exercise of the uh, stick attack in category two, which involves the dog leaving uh, the handler, coming towards me as a decoy, jumping an obstacle, and then biting. So what the dog did, he the dog jumped, advanced a couple of steps, and I was looking at the dog's face to see exactly where does the dog target. Does it target the legs? Does it target the 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 arms? The uh, the you know the bicep? The, the very high up. Uh, in the middle, the, the legs, does he go under the knee? Does he go over the knee? All of Imagine all of this happens in the space of like not even a second. And what the dog did was looking at my legs and I've blocked the dog with a stick exactly where the dog was looking. And as the dog saw that, he redirected himself and bit me up here. So that's a very, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a skill that you uh, teach. It's a mechanic. <clears throat> That that you te- that you teach the dog, uh, but this specific dog did it so late that I was ninety nine percent that dog is gonna bite my leg. But the dog made the switch so fast that it's a well, it surprised me there on the spot. So you know those kind of things. There was another dog, for example, which one of my favorite exercises in monitoring is search and escort. Um. And I, I, I think I'm pretty good at it because I it's one of my skills to be fast. And normally I can get away from dogs fairly quickly. Uh, and if not quickly, I find a way to do it. But there was this dog, which I two meters out of three attempts. And everything that that dog was doing, it's uh, part of what I'm trying to teach the people that I work with now. So uh, this dog, um, had a starting position and I was trying to get uh, the dog out of that position. And the dog was very comfortable to move in a different spot. 
and then I try to eliminate. When I'm saying that, I'm saying the dog started with being in between my legs, uh, facing the same direction I'm facing, and then I've tried to eliminate that position. Then the dog moved the opposite way, so his head was in between my legs, but his body was uh, in the direction I was facing, and the dog was com- very comfortable walking backwards. And when I've eliminated that as well, the dog had no problem staying on uh, either of my sides. So he was yeah. a dog that was very comfortable in every single position, which makes it very, very hard to try to escape from it. So purely that concept of the dog being comfortable in all the positions that the decoy can put the, uh, the dog in, it's mm. a principle that I personally took for myself, and then I'm trying to experience it with uh, the dogs that I'm working with. Not every dog is comfortable doing so. Not every dog is um, capable of, of, of doing it uh, that way. But at least from that, you can develop or you can bring that level to uh, to a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really, uh, really cool. I've, yeah, I love all that stuff. <laughs> after, after a certain <clears throat> experience happens, you, you know, sit down and analyze it. Or what I do, I just look at, I look at the videos. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to go, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. But uh there you know you take decision decisions in sometimes in under a second and that's the decision you take so whatever the consequence is either you took the points or you didn't that's what um that's what it needs to uh you need to li- live with um most importantly the decision that you make it has to be within the rules otherwise there's no point um why why did you choose to focus on being a decoy versus focus on being a competitor uh I would say that overall is like personal reasons. Uh, I'm not in a personally in a position right now to have a dog, purely, mostly because uh, of uh, time restrictions. Uh, plus, when I started to uh, to decoy, uh, because of my um, uh, of my uh, relocation from one country to another, I had a gap, so I I lost a bit of time, which I recovered now in the last few years. Uh, so that's what, kind of why I went in um, that direction. But you know, th- the plan is at some point to have uh, that part of um, of training as well, where uh, there will be you a want- dog I will compete with, but it's just yeah. not, not for the um, foreseeable uh, future at this moment in time. Uh, plus, you know, I mentioned earlier about the uh, uh, boxes that I want to tick. There are yeah. two things which I want to achieve as a as a um, decoy in in a competition. Uh, so you know, working in in that direction as well. Oh well, you can't just leave us like you can't leave <laughs> us in the dark there. So I I, I want to um, do another super selection. I want to win it. It's 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 a difficult task. Uh, and then if I do this automatically, I'll achieve competing in a level three of a of a world championship fantastic yeah so yeah. it's a it's a goal um who knows when it's gonna happen i know this year i'm not doing the super selection so it could be in a year time it can be in two years time uh but you know variables can be can be plenty um but it takes a lot of time to prepare for such a what do you have to do to prepare for something like that we have to be physically ready it, it, it's strange because a super selection is uh working with um category three dog so in from from a 
um, practical point of view, it's mm, it's uh, I would say that a brevet license to get your decoy license for a country, it's slightly harder because they, there you have to work with um, a dog in level one, a dog in level two, and then a dog in level three. Plus the practical test, sorry, plus the physical test, the test, plus the theory test. Uh, in uh, in the super selection, you only get um, a category three dog, but there there is the, the 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 mental pressure as well because you get when I did it in twenty twenty one, there were nineteen other decoys. So you know when you do the the physical test, it's a one k run. So you need to get the best time. You need to be you know. Time-wise, you need to be faster than nineteen other people. Oh, I didn't realize they like actually raced you. <laughs> it, it was it wasn't a race because people competed in groups of four. Uh, but you need to get the best overall time, though. You need, to get, you need to get the best overall time. Okay. Same with the slalom, and then there's there are points, uh, and the points are are very very um, specific to certain areas. So. Uh, for example, when you start the exercise as a decoy, are you looking at the judge to give you the mark? Um, when the dog gets recalled back, are you stopping at the at the um, instruction of the handler or are you stopping at the horn? Uh, are you safe enough? Are you following the dog with your eyes to see if the dog really goes back or decides halfway to turn around and come and bite you again? And are you ready for that moment in case it happens? So there are a lot of things which um a decoy will need to you know focus and concentrate to do um and i would say there's there's pressure from from just being there because you, every decoy has its own um supporters if i can put it that way and some some people react differently you know emotionally to, to you know seeing that there's they could i've, I've seen talented people um losing a bit of their concentration um, sometimes being overexcited about being there and giving way too much than than uh, than they should have given, and then I've seen the other extreme where not that much was given from 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 a decoy. So it's you know it's something that um, I would say experience. If you've got experience in this, it would be a lot easier. So that was my first super selection. If I go, if I do one next week, I wouldn't be as emotional as I was. Uh, as I was the the first time. Yeah, of course. And do you have, have like a go on? Do you have do you have like a, a favorite decoy or like someone that like really stands out as you just watch them and just like wow that person is really really good. There's there's a there's a few good people and very talented people. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to mention all of them. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I'm I'm sure you're aware of you uh, that I I represent. Um, um, a suit company called Demanet, mm-hmm. um, and the guy that owns it, Herv Mavwanga, he's, I know, he's he's probably you know how they say in football, the goat, the best of all time. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So obviously him. It's you. You can't think of someone that got dressed in a suit, and you, you can't. You cannot not think of him. Uh, you know, but there are people in France. I've got fr- friends in France. Um, there's a guy called uh, Cedric, Cedric uh, Gottfried. He's really talented decoy. He's been doing it for years. I've got friends in Romania, my friends Madeline and Alex, which you know I've I've grown uh, with uh, uh, with them. Friends in Belgium as well, the Pecora brothers. There's a lot of people 
um, which uh, uh, which I uh, I admire, and you know, especially at the competitions that I go, um, I've been working with a few decoys a few times, but I've been I've been working with decoys that uh, most of you know in most of the competitions that I haven't worked with before. Um, and there, you know, you, you get feedback from from decoys as well, which is interesting to see. But again, decoying sometimes goes to physical um, qualities as well. So a few of the people I mentioned, they're way taller than me, which means their arm stretch is longer than mine. So I don't have the same um, um, visible presence as they have for a dog. But in other areas, I'm because I'm smaller and I've done certain sports, I'm a bit faster. So, you know, I have to be aware of when someone recommends me, you should do this with your hand. I would say, yes, I'm very aware I, I, I should try it. However, I think if I would, I would be an easy target for the dog. So I'd rather try something else, purely knowing my my uh, my limits as well. Yeah, like, is there like an ideal body structure for a decoy because for example i remember when they did the olympics and you know they would go into like universities and they'd look for people that had like really long arms to try to recruit mm-hmm. them to be rowers and stuff like that do you have like an equivalent for um uh like decoys like is there like a structure that you know like um for example i'm into mma and mm-hmm. I, I really like watching mma and in mma they talk about people that have long arms because they're going to have a long punching reach essentially yeah. Stuff like that. Is that kind of like an equivalent for... Not necessarily, uh, as long as you have to be fit. And, the, you know, defining fit can can mean, you know, a lot of things because you can be less fit for a competition with 10 dogs and you have to be really fit for a competition with 50-something dogs. You know, because it goes for the sp- on the space of three days. And first day, first day it's excitement, it's adrenaline, it's um, uh, you want to impress the judges, you want to impress the audience, you want to be fair for the dog, you have to do the same thing for every dog. Then comes the second day where you still have energy and then comes the third day where you go, oh, I'm a, I feel a bit tired. Because you start at eight in the morning and you finish at eight, nine in the evening. Break in between, uh, you eat. You don't, personally, I don't eat a lot in between, you know, when there's a competition and um, uh, it's a break in between competitors. So it's a difference between you know competing on a on a weekend where there's seven dogs today and then six dogs tomorrow. It's a, it's a level of fitness, and then it's diff- it's a difference when you've got over fifty something dogs that you need to, to to work with. So I wouldn't say there's a specific requirement of being uh, this tall or um, this wide or this small or whatever. But I think fitness it's a um, it's a massive component which I think every decoy should be aware of it and. Everyone is, you know, um, capable of understanding how far they can they can go in in that regard. Do you have like a particular fitness routine? Uh, it depends if I'm preparing myself for something or not. If okay. I if I get ready for a competition, yes, I do. If I get ready for a super selection, it's it's slightly different. It depends on at the time that I start preparing myself. Um, otherwise I maintain my fitness through my, 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 uh, daily, daily, uh, work schedule as I work with dogs pretty much, uh, every day, uh, and my, uh, my training sessions, uh, at the club where, uh, where I go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I can. 
you know, when I was saying that next week I'm going on holiday, so no dogs for about 10 days, which is I'm going to be happy. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. How did you get into Mondeering, Nick? Uh, it started years ago. Uh, initially, I, I was very interested in uh, IGP because that was well known uh, in 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 my home country uh, back in 2010, 11, something like that. Um, and then there were a few people which were like um, exploring Mondeering. Um, and then one specific person has been at the World Championship first dog in Romania who got out of the country to compete internationally. Uh, and then because he's done it, a few other um, trainers in Romania have started, you know, they got Malina started to do it as well. Uh, and at that time I was still learning about dog training and stuff like that. So I was around them and I said, oh, I want to try and have a bite. Um, and pretty much that's how it started. Um, yeah, you mentioned there like IGP as well. Mm-hmm. How transferable are those skills? Like if you have someone that's a good IGP decoy or a good Mondio decoy, like are those skills very transferable or actually they're just really different? I would say that I was actually looking today at, at um, IGP uh, decoys and what they do. Um, and it takes, again, it takes a lot of understanding the rules. It takes a lot of uh, mental strength as well. This is for my, my I've done like a few IGP um, exercises with uh, uh, with dogs, which uh, it's, it's different than monitoring a lot. Um, but in a way, the mindset is is the same. You have to be safe. You have to be able to catch the dog. You have to respect the rules. Uh, you have to perform certain movements if the dog comes in a certain way. And I was actually um, watching today uh, a decoy teaching other people how to catch a dog with a pillow, how to catch a dog with uh, with an arm sleeve. Uh, I would say if, um, from my point of view, from a natural technical aspect, the um, whoever has the ability to catch a dog in IGP at that speed, at that weight, safely, I wouldn't see any uh, difficulties into trying to experience monitoring because the physicality of it, it's in a way similar. Imagine a dog comes and bites me on the arm in, in monitoring. I have to catch it so everyone stays safe, stays safe right? Mm-hmm. So I may do a movement which may look similar to to the IGP ones. Either I take the dog on the inside or on the outside, depending on how I spin my body. Uh, but um, if someone does IGP and wants to switch to monitoring, I think they're more they're uh, more than capable of doing it. Similar similar to to the other way around. As long as you understand the rules, because the rules can dictate what you're doing. You can't just catch a dog. Everyone can learn to catch a dog at some point if they, they practice well enough. But then understanding the rules of each sport can determine how you behave. The attitude, you saw that in, um, in IGP, there's a specific specific movement uh, when the decoys uh, have the dogs um, attached to their sleeve and they have to move and they have to use the stick to create that pressure. Now I know they've eliminated the, the, the dog being touched by the stick. Um, so for me personally, uh, as long as you understand what you're decoying for, it's capable to do uh, different things. So I've got a friend who's who's a decoy for monitoring and a decoy for RGB as well. Oh, really? That was my next yeah. question. So, I was so gonna... it, it is capable. It is possible. Yeah, there are 
he's fully uh, people, licensed, uh, tested in both areas. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. I wonder, that would be the person that would really be able to, uh, like, talk about the differences, you know? If you if you have it if you've achieved both that's that's impressive for sure. Yeah, so in terms of in terms of monitoring, he has he has actually competed in world championships. Uh, in terms of IGP, he's done it locally, uh, yeah. in 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 his uh, home country. So it it is um, possible and it is achievable. It's just a matter of, I guess, time and and desire for from that person, if I could put it that way. Have you ever been tempted, maybe not of IGP, but like uh, of any, with any of the other sports to kind of dabble in them? Um, I was tempted by French Ring at some point, which is, I mean, Mondoring comes, you know, it uh, uh, has French Ring uh, routes as well. Unfortunately, it's, it, it's not something uh, logistically uh, possible in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, to be honest, no. Not, not, no. not, not really. Monitoring has been has been my thing. I'm, I'm curious now about. Uh, I can see the growth of the PSA in the UK now. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. And I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of people um, doing it, and a lot of uh, decoys doing it and getting license for it. And I look at them. I, you know, social media now is um, full of that uh, information through, uh, you know, through through videos. Um, and I can see, I can see a lot of like talented people catching dogs safely and some dogs, you know, they, they hit you pretty hard and I can see them catching them safely and I can see them paying attention to the rules and trying to perform that exercise under the, the rules, which is, which is a good thing because, you know, some, some, someone may be interested, uh, in, in decoying in other sports as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's actually nice to see. Uh, people getting dressed in the suit and trying to to do something because it's not, getting dressed in the suit and getting bitten it's easy getting mm-hmm. bitten under rules it's not that easy yeah because the you know the, the pressure of the rules it's something that is going to dictate how you move and when you move and why you move yeah am i right in thinking mondio is a bit more exclusive as well in terms of like breeds Right, like you don't see as many of you know, like some, I mean, you don't see them anyway. Um, but especially in IGP, like maybe you see more of like different breeds, like Rottweilers, Dobermans, mm-hmm. um, giant schnauzers, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking you don't really see so much of that in the in the Mondial world? Uh, it, I think it depends on uh, the legacy that each country has, and I think it depends on. Um, uh, the experience that each handler has. So if you go in countries like Be- Belgium, you would see Bouviers doing it, right? Um, if you go in Germany, you would see German more, you know, there's a tendency of German shepherds practicing the sport as well, as there is slightly in the uh, in the UK as well. Um, there, I've seen Rottweilers, I've seen Dobermans. So it's not, obviously it's exclusive to uh, a certain type of um I would say behavior from a dog that allows you to perform all the all those exercises, uh, which obviously you see a lot of um, Belgian Alinos um, doing the sport. But you get Cerberians as well um, doing the doing uh, monitoring. 
uh, you get Dutch Shepherds doing it. It's actually uh, the Dutch Shepherds now have their own world championship. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, similar to um, uh, to the uh, Malinois. FMBB. It's, it's similar to, sorry, similar to FMBB as well. Yeah. Um, so it is. It's it's not exclusively um, rest- restrictive to certain breeds. Uh, there's a, there's a dog in Spain which I think um, it's category moving to category three now. It's a border collie. Oh my god, you're kidding me! No, no, no. I'll I'll, I'll send you the the. Food. Wow, that's really impressive, though. To be honest, when someone is. is able to do something with a non-standard breed, what yeah. I've seen the collie likes to bite the ankles of the decoys. <laughs> <laughs> I see. This is this is exactly what I mean in uh, saying that. You look at the the tendency of the of the breed, right? Yeah, yeah. but no credit to them. Like that's su- super impressive. It is. You know? So it is possible. It's just a matter of again time, what you want to achieve, when you want to achieve it, um, how far you want to go. Because with a collie, probably the the training is slight, yeah. probably is going to be slightly different than training a. Uh, that totally makes board. sense for a lot of reasons yeah so before we started i call you we're talking about your experiences working in rescue mm-hmm. um you know how are things at the moment because obviously you work over in london right mm-hmm. and uh it seems like a crazy time right now you know with uh there's so much in the press right now about uh the bullies and in fact there's another breed that you know you see every now and then you you see bullies doing bite work Mm-hmm. Um, so not really so much in this country, but I think it's more of a thing in like America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what have your experiences been? Because you're really on the ground with that stuff. Um, not just bullies as well. Like we're seeing a lot of issues with like canny corsos as well. Yep. Um, I'm just curious because you're you're a person on the ground right now with with regards to that stuff. You know how how crazy has it got, or is it just media hype? Uh, if if the media wants wants it to be a hype, I would say he can make it to be uh, to happen that way. Um, I would say that this is definitely has been a change uh, in terms of how dogs behave now. And I I think the um, the period where um, the pandemic happened has a big influence, purely because everyone's ability to move freely including with their animals with their pets uh, has been restricted which automatically created some form of um, unwanted behavior uh, behaviors in in those animals uh, which then have started to kind of connect to to each other i remember in it was like midway through uh the first no almost to the end of the of the first lockdown which took a while and uh there were dogs coming in which had no idea about life they were absolutely terrified of everything purely because they haven't been exposed to uh you know to a healthy socializing um process uh, and unfortunately years later you know a couple of years later you still you still see those um, those type of behaviors in uh, in dogs. So I think I think the change that you know the whole planet suffered from uh, has definitely had uh, an influence upon um, uh, upon dogs, upon breeders, upon people that have pets. Um, 
obviously depending on what pets they 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 want to have people have uh you know a tendency of i like big dogs so i want that dog because it's i had one when i was you know, i mean you, you're very aware of how sometimes people choose uh choose choose their dogs and i understand it maybe it comes from a from an uh, emotional point of view um or from a certain memory or whatever uh but then they have to understand that they have to deal with those genetics further down uh further down the road and i, I you know i see um i see dogs that i work with that have so much potential and skill but that skill because it has been explored or and conditioned and um at times tempered uh i see those skills coming up um coming out to surface in ways that society deems as deems as um inappropriate i mean it's not just bullies and canic horses no, and well, i'm not like... talking i'm not just talking about bullies and canic horses no no i know but, you weren't but yeah so it's 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 every dog that has a skill uh if it's not explored properly then it, it, that you know that genetic will come out so regardless of that genetic it's um how do i say it it's um uh, exposing skills or limits right if if the genetic is there it, it cannot be unwritten so it will come up to surface at some point no i was just going to say you know like uh there's been a surge in popularity of like um malinois dutch shepherds that kind of thing as well you know and a lot of people are saying you're seeing a lot more of those in rescue too mm -hmm. have you seen is that mm -hmm. what you've observed as well yeah yeah in and it's it's like in periods of time times so you get the the chance of working with one or two in the space of three four months and then suddenly eight in two weeks where mm -hmm. did these dogs come from and you look at them and you you see them from eight months to two years right you, you, you know rarely you get a eight eight year old malino yeah i've year, noticed that as the, well. or the eight year old uh german shepherd or the eight year old dutch shepherd for possible problems related to the the genetic capabilities of the dog you get the eight month old one to you know the two year old one it's that adolescence period it's really hard for people you know um I remember when I was really newbie with these kind of dogs, I had a client that had a, like an IGP line Doberman. And it was probably like my first exposure to like a working line protection sport dog, mm -hmm. really. And uh, he was a lot of work. You know, he really needed to be doing stuff all the time or, or being managed at least. Because if he was kind of left on his own, he would like destroy stuff and... You know, he had a tendency to jump up and be grabbing people's arms and stuff. And it was like mm -hmm. upsetting for them. Um, and like, I think it was, you know, credit to them. They didn't actually rehome that dog, but it was definitely eye opening. You can see why. And by the way, he like matured into an incredible dog. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you would take him on walks and everyone would be like, oh my God, you are such a cool dog. Where did you get him from? And it's like, you don't realize the first two years were really hard work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can see why, like, the majority of pet owners just can't, like, you know, they can't, they really struggle with a dog like that, you know, in, in especially when they're going through adolescence and they're big dogs and, you know, they're expressing those behaviors as hard work. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily lab label it on um, a specific breed or breeds. 
um, purely because I've I've had experiences where um, I've worked with dogs that I wouldn't ex- I would I wouldn't expect that level of skills, uh, but the dog showed it, and I was very impressed. There was a there was a puppy beagle which uh, we had um, in the rescue center. At four months old, he had such an amazing drive for food, for toys. He liked to grab stuff, carry, yeah. carry things in his mouth. So you would think how he's just like a Malinois or a German Shepherd. At four so months funny old. you say this yeah? because I've so, been going around telling everyone about a beagle that I met. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> maybe, the same pro- maybe it's the thing. same one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are, I wouldn't say it's... Um, Obviously, every every breed has its own purpose and comes with its own um, genetic skills and at some point limits. When I say limits, I mean one dog is capable of doing this in a certain way, one dog is capable of doing the same thing in a different way or not capable at all. So, you know, uh, individual uh, characteristics for every uh, for every dog. So, yeah, th- things are, are sometimes strange. Uh, so... Um, it can happen that someone that gets a Malinois has time on their hands and has uh, manages to bring their lifestyle to a point where they've got absolutely no uh, problem with uh, their dog from that breed. And then you get the other extreme where someone gets a beagle and they, they go, oh my God, what am I doing right now? This dog is driving me crazy. Look at him, he's running, he's chewing, he's doing this, this and that purely for not understanding that a beagle may have skills to a certain extent that can uh, can push it to, to that way. I'm using the example of a beagle purely because I've experienced, like I said, uh, yeah. a very skillful beagle recently, but it can be related to, you know, to, uh, to a lot of other, uh, to a lot of other breeds. You know, I, I've watched a lot of podcasts uh, and listened to them recently. And I like the fact that everyone, uh, either guest or hosts, uh, they put an emphasis on genetics. And I think as much as possible, if people spread this uh, concept, um, it will be a lot easier for the regular member of the public to uh, maybe maybe they do a bit of research before getting their next dog. Maybe if they if they do research about oh I want I want a large dog. I'm not gonna say a breed. I just want a large dog that looks this way and they do a bit of research and then they listen to people talking about that dog and then they think hmm, that person that person they don't know each other but they say the same thing there's a, there's a, a high possibility that this dog will develop this type of behavior purely because it's it's connected and related to the dog's um genetic makeup maybe i will choose something else or maybe it's not the right time because i don't have the logistic, the logistics available to support that dog and and fulfill that dog's uh, needs. Yeah, yeah so that's I'm, a really good I've, point. I've, I'm glad I've, that you bring that up. I've, I've listened yeah, recently, and it's 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 important. And either it's listen to people that I know or random people that I've never uh, known about or heard about, but they had the podcast, and then you know, genetics, and they point that out. And I think it's I think it's healthy to to put it that way. Yeah, definitely. I think for a long time there was, and there still is really, you know, especially among dog owners, I think dog trainers are starting to like realize this more and more now, but there was always this like culture of, you know, if you have a dog that is, has problem behaviors, then it's your fault and everything, you know, everything that your dog does wrong is essentially down or I say the word wrong, you know, 
take that with a pin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is uh, is 100% your fault, you know? And, and if your dog is doing something, if your dog is trying to chase cars or whatever it is, then it's because you've somehow made some mistake. Um, and you're right, you know, dogs do have genetic predispositions to do stuff. And obviously training plays a massive part in that. But for example, if you buy a Dachshund, you're more likely to have a dog that's going to be loud and is going to bark a lot because that's what they're bred to do, mm-hmm. right? And you can do training to work around that. Um, but you're, I, I think a huge amount of the uh, training sessions that I do, like... A lot of it does come down to people actually just making a poor choice in the beginning and getting a breed or, or a dog from a certain line where it just didn't really suit their lifestyle and actually what they wanted. And I think a lot of people are getting dogs because a lot of people get dogs because they like the look of them. And actually, uh, maybe they, they don't quite realize what they're taking on um, until it's too late. And then you're trying to kind of play catch up with, with the training to, to mm-hmm. m- make the dog fit the person's lifestyle. And it can be quite hard sometimes. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think, you know, based on looks, this can be one, one, one criteria, but I think somehow, um, it could be a combination of, uh, of a lot of other things, you know, uh, like I said, sometimes I, 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 I think, and I feel like, for um, certain people, could be an emotional response uh, for uh, uh, for looking at a specific dog. Um, in in terms of like uh, having one of those dogs from from those uh, examples, but um, overall, if, even what you said, if even if it's let's say um, a poor choice, a poor choice from from whose point of view? Let's, let's put it this way: from 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 whose point of view, it's a poor choice for someone that has chosen uh, a large dog or a small dog, like you said, the the, the dachshund, which is going to be loud, right? It's mm-hmm. um, if the people say, "Oh, I've, maybe I've done the wrong, I've uh, chosen the ro- the the wrong breed for my lifestyle," but then I'm willing to make since they're at, at the training session, it means they want to. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Which is which is which is great. But maybe yes. if we could go back in time, we wouldn't have chosen that breed. <laughs> yeah, then you then you would be out of business, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah. But I guess this is the difference between prevention. Exactly. Like you're hundred percent right. Once a person's coming to you, you know what am I? I, I can't exactly say. Well, go get a new dog. No, like you we're going to work with. You can't. So it, and it's great that they've realized. Definitely, uh, but then Definitely. options options are many to the point where they they try training and if it works, great. Training it's it's supposed to change their perspective. Otherwise, they wouldn't have reached the point where they need the training, right? When you Definitely. Get, when you get a dog, you think I'm getting this dog because I want this this and this from this dog. I want you know I want to get, go on the morning walks. I want to exercise with my dog. I want to have a dog that when I touch it, I feel affection. Whatever it is, right? Um, so if they reach the point of training, it means you know that the information that they needed wasn't uh, uh, wasn't there. Once they get that information, options are um, multiple. They can keep the dog, work with the dog, change their whatever changes they need to make, or they can realize oh, this is way too much, and I, I'm restricted with time, financially, uh, whatever other reasons can uh, emotionally, physically, whatever, and then it's time to make a change, you know. And I, and I think at some point it could be fair from a from a dog training perspective to 
from dog trainer dog trainer's perspective to tell to someone if they're been to training for four months and you can see that you can make the changes in the dog but the relationship doesn't go in the into the right way between the handler and or a certain member of of the family or a friend or whatever dynamic is and the changes are not just in the training session or on the training round they are not happening uh, out there in the, uh, in the in the in the home in the house in the public domain whatever then i think it would be fair as a trainer to say maybe you should consider changing and i know it can be emotionally uh, yeah yeah but i i think i think it would be healthy and fair to actually say that yeah i t- i totally agree and i think sometimes um as dog trainers like we can be like a little bit worried to have that conversation and and it doesn't happen all the time but every now and then you do get a dog where i do think it's the the best thing you can do for the welfare of the dog and actually the welfare of the person as well um it's exactly what you said nate like if you have a dog that is like you know super active and just really needs to be running around doing stuff and you have a person that doesn't have the, the physical capabilities or or the lifestyle to do that then uh you know at a certain point like you can do a lot of training but if the dog's basic needs just cannot be met by that person it's a tricky situation to be in for sure it is but you know uh, as long as the people then look for answers in any any specific way good or bad uh, as long as they're doing something there's a big chance they would find uh, something that is going to to help them even if that means rehoming the animal sure right yeah so it doesn't necessarily have to be my my pet has developed this uh behavior which i don't know where it's coming from uh and i want help help can be seeing a professional um working on the issue solving it or maintaining it whatever the problem is but then an option can be okay i I can't deal with this so i need to make a change regardless of, of what that change um that changes but yeah from my point of view as long as they're willing to make a change and they're seeking out the information i think that's the healthy approach to to have yeah definitely definitely yeah i remember um watching ray coppinger speak at one of the sparks conferences and he used to like he used to really like play the grumpy old man on stage Mm -hmm. and uh he wasn't a dog trainer you know, so he wasn't, he was never really interested in asking, answering dog training questions because that wasn't his profession. And he would get people, like, people would ask him questions like, you know, hey, my Labrador is not retrieving properly or something like that. And uh, he would, he would just be like, well, get a new dog. And like, it just used to like completely silence the room. And uh, oh, he was, he was very like, I don't know, he was a very funny person, mm-hmm. you know, like very, would just <laughs> i don't know i don't even know how to put it into words but it used to be used to be Very hilarious approach then <laughs> <laughs> he just he was just playing the grumpy old man you know just like yeah i don't know do you, you familiar with coppinger uh no i will be honest no but it's um, very interesting what you said <laughs> <laughs> you should check coppinger out it's really cool he did the uh him and his wife linda did all the uh like they wrote extensively about the domestication of dogs, mm-hmm. the, uh, like, uh, how can I put this? Like, th- th- what they're really responsible for, like, the theory that dogs domesticated themselves. Okay. Like, um, 
on like dumps and like scavenging off of human civilization. And it's really, it's really interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. You should definitely check it out. Did a lot of stuff with livestock guardian dogs as well. Okay. Breeding and providing them to like rural farmers and stuff like that. Sounds interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. That's actually an interesting uh, thing that we're experiencing a lot of right now is um, people getting, you know, this is actually a classic example. We're talking of livestock guardian dogs, mm-hmm. people getting the livestock guardian dogs, taking them, uh, putting them in a house in the city where they're having their friends around regularly. Yeah. It, it doesn't tend to go well. <laughs> it doesn't. It, you know, to take a, a dog which is genetically predisposed to keep people away. And you yes. put a dog in an environment where those people come in and they do not stop coming in. And the dog, yeah. like I said, genetics will come to surface at some point. And it's always, you know, similar stories. But it hasn't done this for two years. Now it's happened. Well, once it happened, you know, mm-hmm. you know it's there. And yeah, it- that is the, that really is the genetics of the dog. You know, there was an argument I saw going on on TikTok where people were talking... It was such a like macho, stupid argument where like someone was like, Malinois are the best protection dogs. And someone else was like, no, no, no. Kangals are the best protection dogs. And uh, yeah, it was a stupid argument. But for me, it's like, with I think of like with Malinois, like they're incredible dogs. Um, but a lot, I mean, well, this isn't like with a, you put a lot of training into a Malinois. Mm-hmm. Versus with like a Kangal, it's very just natural genetic guarding instincts. Like you don't really like train the Kangal to guard the sheep, mm-hmm. particularly. You know, it's just it's just the genetics of the dog. But as a dog to guard the house, I mean, like almost too good, you know, to the point where it's going to cause problems if you're having guests over and stuff like that, right? Oh, this this thing with guarding dogs, it's it's a very interesting uh, topic or, or protection dogs. And I, I see this argument all the time. My dog is protecting me um, naturally, genetically, which is a very long shot, I would say. Uh, otherwise, there wouldn't be services to offer to train dogs in protection work because that that's, again, contextual as well. But uh, yeah, you're right, you know, with those type of dogs, which are designed to... Um, protect the sheep or whatever but they need to have the sheep there <laughs> otherwise what are they gonna protect they will have an instinct to that will come to surface but they wouldn't know exactly where it's coming from and i i remember i've um i was listening to a podcast with um um pat stewart yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was telling a story about uh i think it was a collie mix or something a uh, very young dog that was in, this is in Australia from from what I remember. I was going to the park, and the 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 handler owner was letting the dog off. And at eight months old, he was just hurting, hurting, and hurting. And the best analogy and the best thing that he could say was about that dog. And he was trying to put an example of how the dog feels and about what what the dog does. He said, "I don't know why I'm doing this. I just have something in me that tells me to do it." And I think that I think if you take that concept and think of it that way, then if you put that into uh, Malinard, Kangal, or German Shepherd, or Rottweiler, and then you look at the breed and at the genetics and at the predisposition, then you'll find an answer. Oh, that behavior comes because of that or because of that. And then, you know, I think that with some dogs, once they experience a certain genetic trait that's inside of them, 
it makes them feel so good that they go, oh, I kind of like that. I want to experience that again. And then if it's not provided in a control and conditioned manner, mm-hmm. then probably the dog will look for opportunities to experience it. And then once that once that uh, it's learned, then it will reoccur um, more and more um, in an in a after manner. After, after matter, manner. So example again is the collie, right? Chasing traffic. Why does it do it? Because it's the opportunity to express and express the behavior to feel in a certain way, feel genetically fulfilled, right? And yeah. then think of it that way and then think of why a German Shepherd barks at the postman or uh, Rottweiler barks exactly. when he hears noises, etc. And you know, examples can be a lot. Um, but you know, think of thinking of of uh, how the dog acts on some things uh, may give a better understanding for for either you're a trainer or a pet owner being able to understand that some dogs may go, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I need to do it. And it kind of feels good as well. That's so, probably, you know, that probably contributes to the difficulty of having livestock guardian dogs in the UK because, you know, what are you going to do? Get a flock of sheep? Like, it's kind of difficult to provide that, like, that outlet, which is is really important. I totally agree with you. Like, I think that's become like a really big push and like a really good push, like trying to get people to do stuff with their dogs anyway. Like, to be honest, getting people doing anything with their dogs is good. But then, but then especially trying to get them to do stuff that really kind of like applies to the dog, mm-hmm. dog's genetics. Exactly, you know? exactly. Because you can't do, get a Kangal to do monitoring jumps. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or get a Beagle to do it. Livestock guardian dogs are more of a thing in Romania though, right? Like it, you guys have them over there a bit more, right? It is, but it's purely, um, I would say, uh, it's purely a traditional concept that's been left for you know, tens of, uh, um, I would say hundreds of years, but you know, countryside needs to have um, a certain type of dog. And then you go in the mountains, mountainside and you see proper proper dogs which are guarding the sheep and stuff like that and they they do it you know genetically the, the shepherd they ain't gonna stay spend time training their dogs they've got this is what i mean yeah but you know it's it's there and it's generation after generation of of dogs which uh which do it you know those people in in uh, not necessarily romania that type of um um of uh, part of the world where traditional uh shepherds still are and nothing is modernized, nothing is technology, everything is raw and natural. That includes the dogs as well. Uh, and, you know, those people are, like I said, they're never going to spend time training their dog in that regard um, because the dogs have it in them already. Now, you can imagine that sometimes th- there's an accidental um, litter and someone will have a mountain trip and we'll find the dog like that on the street and we'll go <laughs> i was just let's, thinking of, let's, let's, yeah, take it, let's take it home so, or take it to the yes. vet or oh, i don't have where to home it. i'm just gonna keep it and then hell breaks loose yeah well it, this is actually unfortunately becoming more and more commonplace snake with uh people that really are meaning to do the best you know they're going over to foreign countries and trying to save dogs and stuff and uh, it's it's amazing the amount of like little ads I see on Facebook for rescue dogs where people will have like puppy Anatolian shepherds and stuff like that. 
and they won't even they'll be trying to rehome them they don't even know what they are you know um like you know like and you see all kinds of like funny stuff like they'll be labeled as like i don't know like it'll be like labrador cross and it's like you have no idea what you get yeah, into you know, for. <laughs> yeah it's a uh... I, how do I say it? Don't want to go too much into, into it, into um, advertisement of rehoming or selling yeah. or whatever. But it's, let's say that information can be spread out in a more efficient and correct way. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah, no, it's uh, like, it's amazing the amount of um, times I go and see clients that have rescued these dogs. And, uh, you know, I'm having to like tell them what they've got and yeah, then yeah, yeah, explain yeah, yeah. you know explain these things to them um but yes yeah, uh yes yeah, crazy times right now <laughs> yeah but i think, I think with, the, with the help of spreading the the healthy information maybe things will change yeah definitely do you think that we'll have a like a um like how far like because in the uk actually not just in mondio but also in igp it seems like uh, you know, we have some amazing training going on and like, uh, you know, amazing things are happening in the UK. Like, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself when it comes to Mondia Ring because like, it doesn't seem like that long ago that we were just kind of mm-hmm. like, it was getting more popular. But, um, you know, how far do you think we are off of like being really competitive in the, in, in like the world championships? Um, and how do you think like, we can get there well 2019 2023 that's four years in four years we had two dogs on the podium i wouldn't say that's a bad result no that's are, very good there are countries yeah. with, um a legacy in performing very well at this level of of the competitions countries such as um austria or belgium or uh, or france mm-hmm. um yeah, i think it's just a matter of growth and a matter of um, understanding in between people is very important, I would say. Uh, but uh, I, I can't put a time on it because you know it could be an individual thing or it could be a, uh, a community thing at some point. Um, but I think we're in the right direction. So if let, let's say uh, from my point of view, this year at the World Championship, the UK team will have more dogs in more categories which is again going to be a first so yeah. i would say aiming for being winning a world championship is great but then there are steps before that can that needs to be achieved and i think slowly we're uh, we're getting there i guess it's like um you know for a long time with the english national team we we never we haven't won a world cup since 1966 you know, and that's always a conversation every year. You're like, or every four years with the World Cup. Um, and actually, like, over the last, like, 10 years, like, we've started becoming, like, we're getting so close, yeah. you know. and uh, it, will people get, some, it will happen at some point, right? And people are getting so excited. And it's kind of the same thing with, like, the protection sports. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's just fun to speculate. Yeah, it is, <laughs> but then... Look, look, looking at the 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 the, the you know tactile information you have, it's it's happening in one way or another. Yeah, you are right. The progression in such a short span of time in the UK for Mondio is insane. Uh, 
I can't like think of another example where something has progressed that quickly. I would say now, I would say, I can give you an example. I would say PSA. PSA yeah. has just exploded. Yeah. And like I say, I admire the people that that, uh, that do it and credit to them because it's not easy to put time and effort. Uh, there's, you know, um, time sacrifice, physical sacrifice, mental sacrifice, financial sacrifice, it's all, mm. all kind of the things that can um, deviate from someone's normal uh, life routine. Uh, and I think uh, I, I appreciate the people that do it. It's not purely, it, you know, it's it, it's good for the dogs. They The dogs are getting their needs fulfilled. People are developing. And I speak with some people from PSA and, you know, they're um, admiring the, the work that we do in Mondio, vice versa. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's developing in the right direction in this area of, of dog sports, especially like a protection dog sports, as you want to say. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, yeah, it's definitely all going in the right direction and I can absolutely re recommend anyone that's interested in doing Mondio to get in touch with you, especially, I mean, actually, like you said, now you're kind of traveling all over the world anyway. So I guess people can probably contact or like catch you on the road a little bit, but, um, especially in your, if you're in the UK, uh, so yeah, really uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Perfect. Where where can people find where can people find you, Nick? Like uh, so, uh, very easy uh, on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, on Instagram, it's Nick Um and on Facebook, it's Nick Florin Monduring. So basically, on Facebook or Instagram, if you put Nick and Monduring, you'll, you'll there's a big chance you'll you'll find me. You've made it easy. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then uh, if people can DM, uh, uh, you know, private message, um, um, that's what I get mostly my, you know, inquiries about people being curious about the sport. And um, me and my group are very open to welcoming people. They're, they're a nice group. They're very nice people. They are very welcoming. Uh, they are happy for people who are interested to um, view their dogs, how they're performing, either good or bad training session because it happens. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, we're not secretive and, uh, we, we, we are open because otherwise we won't be able to grow. So yeah, Instagram and Facebook are the places. Where, where is your, where is your club again, Nick? So my club is in Surrey in Leatherhead. Okay. okay. Uh, which is for some people, it's a drive for some people it's not, Of course. Uh, but it's easily accessible as it's next to the highway. So, um, have you got availability if people want to host you for for like workshops and stuff like that? Can they contact you for that? Yes, they, they can do that. So I've recently, uh, I'm going to do a, um, a, a seminar in October. Um, so I need, all I need is just, you know, a bit of time in advance uh, due to, you know, work, uh, my job, my family, so on and forth. So time-wise, as long as I know in advance, yeah, things can be, things can be done and booked. All right, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Good to do a second podcast. All right, we'll, we'll do the third. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be so long till the next one. Perfect. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would take a minute to leave a review on whatever podcast app you listen to this on, whether that's Spotify, Apple, or any other podcast app, or just share this podcast with a friend or on Instagram or Facebook. That would really help more people to discover the podcast, and I would massively appreciate it. See you in the next episode.